You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Well, this morning I want to continue on the series that we began on worship. And how many people have appreciated that series? Right? Breakthrough in worship, battle worship has been amazing. Today, I want to talk about the power of sacrificial worship. Interestingly enough, I joined ICC for a prayer meeting on Wednesday. And uh, Pastor John got up there and he started talking about sacrifice and making altars. I thought, wow. You know, obviously God's got something here and I don't want you to miss it. So if you can turn into your Bibles or your smart devices to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. As you know, in this church, we're no strangers to the Word of God. I can tell usually if you've been reading the Word with some of you old school guys, there's dust coming out of your Bibles. Dust them off. Okay, this is going to be good today. We're going to love this. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 to 50. Everyone got that? Let's read that together, then we'll break open the Word. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. So this is just, imagine for a moment, it's just men in the room. Okay, only the men. The women come and serve. They bring the food to the guys. This is six days before the Passover. The story is recounted in every gospel. Every gospel has a story. Jesus said that what she did is going to be remembered for all time. As long as the gospel is preached, her name will be remembered. By the way, her name is Mary. You'll know who she is in a moment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. All men, and there's this woman sitting, just standing there crying. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. Ladies, just think about this. She wiped Jesus' feet. Forget that the fact is Jesus. It's a man's feet with her beautiful hair, and she kissed this man's feet. Just think about the visual, ladies. Kiss the man's feet and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Remember, he didn't say it out loud. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 550. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet. So remember, they've been walking in the dust and the dirt of that day. They didn't drive around. So he's got mud on his feet. But she wet my feet with her tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In every other gospel, you'll see a different slant on the story, but I wanted to use this one because it's missing from it. You know the slant of the story. It says in in two of the other gospels that one of the disciples said, what a waste of money. This money could have been sold and given to the poor. Sure, a good thing to do, very noble. Except that one of the Gospels points out who it actually was who said that. It was Judas. Judas was the treasurer, and Judas was helping himself out of the treasure. He was stealing money. He thought he could access the funds if she stole it, and he's missing out. According to the scriptures and the commentators, they say it was equivalent to almost a year's salary. If you understand in today's equivalence, I believe, I think I'm underestimating it, but the average annual salary in Australia is $75,000. Some of you are like, what? I'm being ripped off. That's the average. So of people who earn lots and lots of money and people who earn minimum wage, that is the average in Australia. So think about what this woman is doing. $75,000 worth of this really, really expensive perfume in an alabaster jar that was apparently sealed completely. You couldn't just open it and then, re- and then restop it. It was basically you break it. That's why it says it, she broke the alabaster jar. Once it's broken, you can't put it back in. You can't preserve it. It's a once-off use. It's normally used for embalming bodies. I want you to start reading between the lines with this woman. This is a woman, according to Scripture, who is a woman of ill repute. She had a bad reputation. This is a woman who has been sleeping around. And from what we can tell when we put the passages together is that this is a woman that was probably a prostitute. And this is probably the money that she has saved as a dowry to be able to buy herself out of prostitution so that she could marry a husband and actually have a hope in the future. She broke this alabaster jar, giving up her future in order, to, in order to worship Jesus. And no one in that room picked up on the fact that this was sacrifice. This was a sacrificial, sacrificial act of worship. No one picked up on it except Jesus. Not one of the disciples, 12 men who had been sent out. Remember, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. This is now six days before the Passover, six days before he would be uh, tried and accused by the religious leaders, and then we would have the crucifixion. Six days before that. To us, by the way, that would have been yesterday. Yesterday was six days before Passover. So we've got Passover coming up in the next five days. So six days before that, this is happening. Not one of the disciples in three years of ministry could pick up and recognize worship when they see it. The problem is that we as a church, we cannot recognize worship when it's right in front of our face. We've been unpacking this in the last month or so, trying to explain and describe what worship looks like because in our mentality of today, in our theology, we have basically explained away worship as the music that we sing to, which gives you permission when the music isn't good well, or you don't like the song or the worship leader is off tune that I don't want to worship with them because they've got lousy worship going on here. 
Rick Warren, in his book, 40 Days of Purpose, he talks about how people will come to him in his mega church of 40,000 people and come to say, hey, Pastor Rick, I'm new to the church. That was incredible worship. I enjoyed it so much. And he will look at them in the eye and say, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but it wasn't for you. Worship is not for you. This music that they did is an act of worship. It wasn't for you. It was for him. Your worship isn't for us. It isn't to, and to show these guys you're with them and to encourage them. No, this is about you connecting your heart with him and telling him and expressing the love and the appreciation in your heart. But we miss it. The worship service started at 730 when these guys rocked up with Ben and Tanya and they began setting up the sound system, getting the sound checks, putting things together. And then others began to come, and they set up the hospitality. And then they were setting up kids' ministry. Worship was going on before we even started the service, and we missed it. We weren't part of it. Worship happened this week as people gathered together in, in homes across the city, meeting together, breaking bread, celebrating the name of Jesus. Worship happened on Saturday morning as Bop and Yvette are giving food to the poor. And we do this once a month together. We gather at the community hall giving food away to the poor people in our city. It's all worship and we're missing it because we are stuck in this theology that worship is about a song. It isn't about a song. Yes, God can use songs. Worship is the currency of heaven. You might have heard it preached that faith is a currency of heaven. I want to put it to you that worship is a currency of heaven. It's so important and so precise that God creates four angels that are the closest to the throne room of heaven. They're the ones that are shielded by six wings, two to cover their faces, two to cover their bodies, two to cover their feet, because the glory of God is so awesome they cannot take that glory. Even in heaven, in their bodies, they cannot contain the glory of God. It's too much for them. God had to create six wings to protect them at the throne room. And everyone is undone in heaven when the worship proceeds. You see, consider this. One day when our time on earth is over, much of what we value in the church today is going to be no longer required. It is worthless once this time is over and we're in heaven. Because in heaven there will be no need for healings and miracles because no one will be sick. There will be no need for prophecies. There will be no need for words of knowledge because we will... At the moment, we see in part, but then we shall know in full. We'll know everything. We won't need prophecies. There will be no need for evangelism or the gift of the evangelist because everyone in heaven is already saved. They're the elect of God. The only thing when everything else fades away that will remain is worship. Worship was the reason Satan was kicked out of heaven. Worship was the first sin committed outside of the Garden of Eden. Everything centers around worship. Why do you think there's an enemy at war against you and against me? It is a war for worship. It is a war for affection. The devil, if he can't get you to worship him, the very least he can do is as long as you don't give worship to him, he's won. That's all he needs to do is remove your worship and your affection and your tension away from the one thing that really matters, the one person that really matters. Worship signifies so much. In fact, worship is indicative of your love for him. I want to ask you, how was your worship this morning? How was your love displayed for him this morning? If you love him, 
That's the thing we say, oh, but I love God. I love God. Then why are you still looking at pornography? If you love God, why are you still gossiping? If you love God, why are you still not making him the first priority of your day and you say, I'm too busy? Who gave you the job in the first place? I'm too busy. Maybe you should think about changing a job. He supplied it. He can take it away. And he can give you a better one. But we justify these things because everyone else does it. And we think it's okay. I know I'm challenging some people. Forgive me. I'm just the messenger. Okay? You do with the word whatever you want. I'll do with the word what I feel the Holy Spirit's telling me to do. That's all I can do. If you love him, don't use obscene language. Use only language that is good, that builds people up. If you love him, stop hating on people. If you love him, love your enemies because he told us to do it. If you love him, start serving others. If you love him, stop hating on the church and other people who are serving. I don't like the way they did that. I don't like that. That's what the pagans do. We have totally missed and, and misunderstood what worship is all about. This morning, I want to talk about sacrificial worship. If you need a title for the sermon today, it's the power of sacrificial worship. Our worship, think about this, is the only true gift that you can give the Father. If you think about this, your money belongs to him. He gave it to you. He gave you the job. Oh, no, but I got the job my own because of my talents. Who gave you the talent? Hang on. Who gave you the breath that's in your lungs right now? He gave it to you. He made you. He formed you. The Bible says he has a plan and a purpose for your life and plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. But we try and go our own way, and we think we know better, and until we are undone, until our marriages are broken, until our family has left, upped and left us, until we've lost our job, we're going from job to job, until we're absolutely crushed, why is that the time when we actually turn to him? My son David is seven years old. He has no job. He has no income. I know. He has no job prospects. He eats my food, sleeps in my bed, no, literally in my bed as well as the bed I gave him. <laughs> he, he, he takes everything. He watches my TV, goes into my theater room. He knows all the buttons how to press. He uses everything. Storms about, complains about this, complains about that. He would not be alive today, except my wife and I decided that we're going to have a baby. So he draws pictures to express his love for me, using paper and pens I provided. He told me three times on Friday, first thing in the morning, Daddy, I love you. He said it again later, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. If he asked me for an Xbox on that day, at that moment, I probably would have bought it for him. He buys me Father's Day gifts from the money I give him. That's like our relationship with God. Nothing in life that you have comes from you. Comes from the power of your hand. You cannot create it. You cannot make it. Even the breath that you're breathing in your lungs right now 
comes from him. He gave you life. He gave you talents. He gave you treasure. He gave you every good thing to make your life full. And his one desire, one desire, is that you express your love for him. Thank you to the three people that agree with that. God bless you. We're, we're not a quiet church here. We, we normally make a lot more noise. Must be because Petuelli and the family, the others are they're not here today. They're, they're quiet. Okay, that's all right. The other church is there. Instead of seeing God as provider and Lord of all, some people have a concept of a God who is so small. People with a small God concept, they're the same ones. They think they're doing God a favor by coming to church today. I will thank you because I'm just a man. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> it's so good what God is building his church. But you're not doing him a favor. Some people think that they, God should thank them for giving an offering to the Lord, for giving, and paying, giving the church tithe, paying the tithe and giving the offering. In fact, rich men in Jesus' time actually did that. They hired marching bands to announce their giving in the day. That Jesus actually had to say, and when you give, do it in secret, not like the people that announce it with trumpets and fanfare. Look at how rich Josh is. Josh is generous. Josh, the mighty man of God. Look at how... <laughs> That's right. You better give the ICC now. You're in trouble now. People with small God concepts like him when they get what they want, but hate him or question their loyalty to him when he doesn't give them what they want or when they want it. Everything you have comes from him, and you can never pay it back. Your tithe doesn't cover what he's given you. It's just a token to let him know you are the master. It comes from you. I acknowledge it. You can give it with a stinky attitude if you want. It doesn't matter. Your offering is different, though. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Give him that. Paul was talking about the missions offering. So the offering, if you don't want to give it, keep it. Pay a tithe. I remember growing up, my sister and I, she'll remember this. We grew up uh, as, as missionary kids. We grew up in Indonesia at a time when there was no mission group that picked up my parents uh, they, wanted, they, were, they studied under the Assemblies of God, and when they, when they wanted, they felt called and spoke to the missions department. They were not looking at Indonesia at that time, only PNG as a mission field. But they felt so strongly, they ended up going with no support at all. And they couldn't exchange Aussie currency back in that day to Rupiah, so we had nothing. I remember growing up with rags. I remember growing up with soy sauce and rice. I remember we had absolutely nothing. We were dirt poor. I mean dirt poor. I mean some of the floor. I think the kitchen was dirt. We were dirt poor. <laughs> you cannot understand that level of poor. There is no social security to help you out in that country. And I remember when I finally went to the American school where I got this accent from. God bless them. I was in boarding school. And they mocked me for having the wrong brand of jeans. I had no jeans to start with. Did I tell you this story? I had no jeans, and everyone, every American kid, there's no uniform. They wore Levi's or Lee jeans. And I, I had nothing. I, I was this kid from the eight, I'm pretty old. They had these, uh, back in my day, men used to wear these short shorts up here. They were dress shorts. You might see some pictures. They had dress shoes and socks that they'd fold up at the top up here. 
and walk around. The, the shorts are really short. Like, they're right up here. Short sleeve shirt. How many people remember those days? Just a few of you as old as me that are, or at least honest enough to say you were there. I wore that to school in an American school. And they wore jeans and T-shirts and Adidas and Nike. Growing up in Australia, man, Nike and Adidas were so expensive back in the day, let alone Malaysia. And they mocked me because I, I, my parents couldn't afford it. I remember one day, uh, I just wanted a pair of jeans just to fit in. And my mom finally bought me a pair of jeans. She brought it home. Son, I bought you jeans. She was so happy. I was so happy. Thank you so much, Mom. I love you. And then she pulled it out of the packet. It was this polyester gaucho jeans. This is in the 80s when they wore tight jeans back then. And she gave me these bell-bottom jeans. Stretch. It wasn't even, it wasn't even the, that jean material. It was polyester. It was plastic. Stretch jeans. And the mocking never stopped to this day. I only wear Levi's jeans or name brand. I kid you not. I'm over that. But thank you, Jesus, for your blessing. I was amazed at the way that these other kids would just abuse these beautiful gifts that they had, their jeans, their shoes, and take it into the dirt, and they'd, and they'd, they'd destroy their bikes. And I'm thinking, oh, I've only had a bike. If only I had a bike, I, I learned to value and appreciate what I'm blessed with. When you really want something, when you waited and you worked hard to save up for it and you finally got it, that thing that you so much wanted and so hoped for, it becomes treasured. It becomes revered. I, 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 I keep it in its original packaging. I remember opening up Christmas presents. I carefully unraveled the scotch tape because I didn't want to, I might need to reuse the paper. Today, my kids just rip through these things like it's no tomorrow. I would clean it. I would oil it. I would wash it to preserve it. Somehow, we've lost appreciation for what we've been blessed with. Mary, this Mary was a sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. When she came six days prior to that Passover, and she's, she's there just weeping and crying, and she had this alabaster jar, her whole feature in her hands, ready to break. She was not making a statement to anyone else. It was just between her and God. That's the thing. Everyone in that room misunderstood what she was doing. They all misunderstood the significance of that moment. She was reliving the Passover. The Passover is the place where the blood of Jesus, a sacrifice, was put on the doorpost of the home so that the, the angel of death would fly over that home and preserve the lives in that home. She understood the fact that I was saved from my sin. It was nothing that I could do to achieve salvation. I'm justified, not because of any act that I've done. Simply, I obeyed him. I said, yes. I said, come into my life. I said, forgive me, Jesus, and I have a new life. I have a new hope. I have a salvation. I have a purpose. I have a future. And that was what she was celebrating. And she was prepared to sacrifice everything she had in that moment. Because sacrificial worship demonstrates how much we value him. My wife once taught on worship, and she said, worship is worth-ship. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel, where you will read about the first offering that was ever made. And I want you to put this in perspective. 
In verse 3 to 5, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Look at that word. He brought some of the fruits of the soil. He was a, a farmer. But look at, listen to it again. He brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But keep this in mind. God never enacted any commandments that said, Thou must sacrifice to me, 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 me. He just wanted to give out of the goodness of his heart. No one had the idea in that, in that family until Cain came along and decided, I just want to thank God for what he's given me, and I want to give an offering. But the Bible says this, but Abel brought fat portions. That was highly valued. The fat portions from some of, not just any of the flock, the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look on with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Did you understand what was happening here? Cain had no credit, yet he gave an offering to the Lord out of the goodness of his heart, his idea. But Abel saw what Cain did and thought, that is a great idea. I want to show my appreciation for the Father. And he sacrificed. You see the difference? One was an offering, nothing wrong with the, with the vegetables and the fruit, but one was a sacrifice. God rejected the offering, but he received and accepted the sacrifice. The Bible says in Mark 7, verse 9, Isaiah, this is Jesus saying this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, going through the motions of worship, you know, you singing the songs loud, raising their hands, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, actions don't align. Their actions didn't align with their mouth. They worship me in vain because useless worship doesn't achieve the, the desired goal. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. At some point, someone modeled pointless worship to you and it was validated and acceptable because they were leaders, probably. You got your cue on how to worship God by watching other people, but they were watching other people who didn't understand how to worship God. I once heard the story of a, of, of a, of a family. Uh, the husband, he, he saw that his wife did something weird at Thanksgiving. He, she would always cut off the, the, the thighs and the legs and all the parts and put it into the, 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 pot, the pot when she roasted the chicken, uh, the turkey, sorry. Turkeys are really big, but she'd chop off the, the thighs and the legs, the arms, and put it to the side in that plate, put it in the oven. And when he asked his wife, because it was just too weird, no other families do that in America, he said, why are you doing that? She says, oh, because it tastes better when you do it. It tastes better? But isn't the same legs and the thighs and all that in the same batter and sauce that you use to flavor the rest of the chicken? Oh, I don't know. Mom did it. So he went and speak to her mother. And he says, you know, Mom, wh why my, your daughter does this in our family and she cuts off the thigh and leg and you do it too. Why do you do it? She answered the same way, because it tastes better. How does it taste better? Because it's still in the same bowl with the same juices and the same thing at the same time. Why does it taste better? She goes, I actually don't know, because my mother did it. So he finally went, she was still alive, he went to see her, the grandmother of his wife, and he says, Grandmother, why is it that you cut the turkey, chicken, the legs and all that and put it into the pan? Your daughter does it, your granddaughter does it. They say because it tastes better, it doesn't make sense. Why do you do it? She says, because I couldn't fit it in the pan. <laughs> we do some things and, and because everyone has always done it that way, and we don't understand why we do it. 
I'm here to try, I feel the Holy Spirit wants you to understand worship because it's such an important currency of heaven. You must understand it. If you want to see God move and work in your life and shift and change atmospheres, you need to understand what worship is about. It isn't about the song. It isn't about how wonderful the, the, the team is doing on the day. It isn't about the fact that, you know, usually these production guys are so amazing. They do a great job, and when they do a great job, you don't notice them. But when they do a bad job, everyone turns around and gives them the death stare. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Ben. We love you guys, by the way. Jesus goes on. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. In other words, he sings, you are disobeying God by worshiping with no heart. It's a disobedience to God. Let me keep going. Verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. In other words, you are putting your own needs ahead of honoring God. Since when is that okay? And this is what Jesus is saying. Your worship of me is in vain. It is useless. It serves no purpose. Perhaps in our hyper-grace-filled messages today, we no longer understand what sacrifice is. Oh, God will forgive me. He loves me. He did all the sacrifice. I don't have to do it. And so we fail to appreciate how much it costs Jesus to redeem us. On that Wednesday night, I was listening to Pastor John O'Mark talking about sacrificial altars. And he tells a story, the speaker is well known in Malaysia and in other parts of the world, Phil Stadiums, Pastor Julius Subi. And he talks about how his mom used to have a pagan altar that she would worship in daily. She would sacrifice fruit every day, and once in a while there would be a whole chicken that she'd sacrifice. But her neighbor sacrificed one goat every day. The outcome, she had politicians and rich businessmen coming to her for advice and friendship. This home, a nobody, but because of it, something happens in the spiritual realm, godly or otherwise. Something is happening in the spirit realm because sacrifice creates an atmosphere where the supernatural comes in. I hope to God that you seek, you sacrifice to him, not to anything else. But people are willing to sacrifice at other altars in the church today. On the altars of career. On the altars of chasing a woman to be a wife. On the altars of trying to please family or trying to please a wife, they will sacrifice everything for that. But they fail to sacrifice to the Lord. The difference as Christians is that we don't sacrifice to get. We sacrifice to express our love and our gratitude. And our Father can't help but give it back. He can't help, but when you show appreciation, if you ask for the Xbox, like my, if my son had, I would have given it to him. Let me tell you about the benefits of sacrificial worship according to the word. If you're taking notes, number one, sacrificial worship gains favor. Abel sacrificed the fat portions from his firstborn, and his sacrifice won the favor of God. Number two, sacrificial worship demonstrates your faith. The Bible says that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac like God asked. He literally had the knife. It was about to come down. And when at the last minute, God says, stop. Now I know you truly love me and you will truly obey anything I ask you to do. You are willing to give your only son, your old, old man. You'll never have another son. You're willing to give up your own son because I told you to. Now you, you demonstrated faith. 
The Bible says he was considered as faith, and he became the father of many nations. Number three, sacrificial worship draws the presence of God. The Bible says that Solomon sacrificed so many cattle and sheep, they lost count. And his sacrifice drew the presence of God. The cloud of smoke that was back in the day that led the people of Israel out of Egypt came again and filled the temple, and no priest could stand up. They were on their faces, unable to do the duties of the priest because the presence of God was so thick in the place. I say to the team every week, and I said to them this morning, if the presence of God moves and the people are worshiping and we know God is just in this place, I will not have to preach. I'm looking forward to the day when I am undone. Please undo me. Please move the heart of God so much in your worship that I can't get up here and preach because I'm on my face. I want that. That's the real thing. Sacrificial worship draws God's attention. There was a poor woman who gave two one-cent piece, one pieces into the temple treasury. We do that here. We give online. We don't take up tithes and offerings. There are faithful men and women in this church that give regularly and faithfully. You'll never see them put something in the box, but others do as well. You, you, you know, God bless you. We don't hand out a basket because I don't want to manipulate you. This comes with maturity. If you're still a baby Christian, you have permission. I understand. But for the mature, they understand sacrifice. Of course it's going to cost you. Oh, when I can afford to pay the tithe, I'll do it. You'll never afford it. And God will never bless you more than what you're capable of handling. You can trust them in the little that you have. There are people in this church with part-time jobs. <laughs> they give every little bit. I found out about them. I won't embarrass them. I won't tell them I know. But I am so proud of them. Tiny little bits, but that was all they earned. But the adults struggle to give. They struggle to sacrifice. You know, I've never taken up a building offering because I don't think you're ready for it. You're not ready to sacrifice yet. I love you. This is okay. Can you, can you receive this new pastor? I love you. I really do. I'm just speaking some truth to you. I won't even give you a special month to give. Okay, usually churches will do these things, first fruits offering. No, don't even do that because you're not ready to give yet. This woman gave her two tiny little coins. Just before her was a trumpet fanfare as rich men came putting bags and bags of gold in the treasury. Everyone was lauding and applauding this guy. Jesus never got up for them. He actually was watching the temple treasury. He was actually sitting across that box watching as people came by one after the other. And the only thing that made him stand up and take note and begin to brag was this woman with two tiny little coins. And he was so excited, he said to his disciples, who gave more, the, the woman or the rich man with all those bags of gold? Who, who gave more? Well, they're thinking, this is a trick question, isn't it? <laughs> it's a trick question. Of course the rich man gave more. He put more coins in there. Jesus did not even wait for them to answer because it would have been stupid. So he just says, it was the woman that gave the two mites. You see, the rich man gave out of an abundance. He had lots more to spare. But that woman gave out of everything she had. She would have to go without meals for this in order to give what she gave. That was huge for that woman. It drew the attention of heaven. If Jesus saw it, the Father saw it, all of heaven was celebrating that poor woman because of the incredible sacrifice. It's not the amount. 
It's not the amount per, that you compare to other people. It's what you earn, what you give to God. He sees these things. And finally, sacrificial worship ends plagues. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 24, King David did a bad thing. He counted his men when he should have trusted God. He did it anyway. And God says, okay, you've got a choice. Either I can uh, give you famine for this amount of years, uh, three, three years, or I can destroy people okay, in three days, as many people as I can. And he chose the three days. Either way, it was going to be painful. And in that time, there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people dying. The Bible says that David could see it was an angel, a giant angel, standing at the top of what would one day be the Temple Mount. He saw this angel slaying people, killing them, hundreds of thousands of people. And David quickly rushed. He understood how to stop it. He knew what would be required. If you've, got, if you've got trouble coming on your life, you have not yet understood sacrificial worship. It ends the plague. He ran to that place, brought everything with him, his soldiers, his men. Everything came with an entourage. And he spoke to the owner of the place, Uriah the Hittite. And he says, I would like to buy your field. I need to make sacrifices to stop the plague. Even this man understood that would stop the plague. He says, I'll just give it to you, king. I need the plague stopped. I'll just give it to you. This is his, his answer in verse 24. But the king replied to Arauna, no. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Let me finish with the story. Can I get you to stand to your feet? John Bevere, when he first started getting invitations to preach around the world, was invited to go to Brazil. And as he went there, it was a Christian gathering of Christian leaders, and these are the worship leaders of the nation and pastors and leaders of large mega churches. At that time, only it was a 5,000-seater auditorium, and it was full, full to the brim. And as he came up to preach, before he came up to preach, he's watching what was going on around him. He saw people talking. They were talking. There was worship going on. People are worshiping the name of the Lord. And these are the, the best of the best of the musicians in that nation. And yet people were still talking amongst themselves. People were going in and out buying popcorn and buying drinks and buying coffee and bringing it back, having a good old chinwag. And, he's, and he felt there was zero presence of God in the place when he arrived, and he started getting angry. As he's looking at these people, they would not stop what they were doing. When men came up to share something, they weren't listening, they still kept talking. And when his turn came up to come to the pulpit, they were still talking, and he's seething by now. I, I, don't, I can't imagine anyone doing that. If I was invited to preach, I'd be a lot more gentler. He wasn't. He decided, I refuse to preach until I get all their attention. And he says, even then, it took about seven minutes or ten minutes before they finally realized, oh, nothing's happening on the stage. I better stop and see what's going on. He did not introduce himself. Instead, he opened with this question. He says, how would you like it? If while you spoke to someone, they ignored you the entire time or continued to carry on a conversation with the person next to them, or if their eyes roamed with disinterest and disrespect while you're talking. He said he paused and he answered his own question. You wouldn't like it, would you? He said, what if every time you rang the doorbell to visit a neighbor's house, you were greeted with a careless attitude and monotone sign? Oh, it's you again. 
Come on in. He said, you wouldn't visit them anymore, would you? But the King of kings and the Lord of lords was in this place, no matter how small the gathering. How did you honor him today? How did you show reverence to the master of all creation? According to the story, at the end of his message, he preached with the thing, the burning message on his heart. And he says, now I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. If you, you know those words are for you, and you want to change and shift something in your heart, I want you to say this prayer with me. He led them in a, a prayer of repentance. And he says, and there became wails and cries that began to break out in the congregation. People are crying. He says, if you hear it, Latinos, you'll, you know, they're, you're loud voices. They can really scream. They're crying before the Lord. A wave of repentance swept over the place as people began crying out to God. And then it stopped five minutes later. And he says, another wave is coming. Another wave is coming. The next minute, repentance came. Now they're screaming louder. Then all of a sudden, from the back to the front, they began ear-piercing screams. As people, he says, the only way I could describe it, he says, if you were 100 feet away from a jet about to take off, 100 feet away, the thunderous roar of this jet thundering in the place. It was like you're right next, door, right next to this thundering engine as it takes off. Everyone heard it, and they were screaming. And then, that's, he says, was when revival broke out. God began to answer their prayers. They repented before the Lord. And a revival came to that nation for the next few years. As he was leaving on his way out, the sound guy caught him and said, Pastor John, I, I was going to record the sound of the mighty rushing wind that was in this place, the tornado. He says, but it didn't even register. It's actually not physical. It's not in this realm. But everybody heard it. In fact, people heard the sound outside from a, a sound coming inside. They thought it was from a jet taking off outside. We've lost the art of sacrificial worship. Can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as I close? I know I've taken a bit of time. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. But if I can pray for you this morning, Father, we've lost something precious. And we want to regain that, Lord. We've been modeled the wrong form of what worship is. And we repent before you on behalf of those who've shown us that and the ones who showed them that. Lord, it's incorrect. It's not right. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for being scared of being able to sacrifice to you our time, our talent, our treasure. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you enough that you can provide all things, that you can make up for the loss when we sacrifice to you. We'll never be undone. There'll always be a way that you pay us back more than we gave. Forgive us, Lord, when we made excuses for not worshiping you because we were too busy, because we didn't have enough, because it was too uncomfortable. Forgive us, Lord. Father, this morning, send your spirit afresh. Touch our hearts, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, down to the depths of our being.
that we might encounter you, that we might experience Jesus and all the glory of his fullness in this place. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us once again. Light your candle. Let that fire burn brightly. Set us ablaze, O God, that this would be a church full of people on fire. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.